Whispering Streets. Betty Davis. Hello. The whispering streets that divide a family are the most tragic ones of all. Fifteen-year-old Alan Ordway didn't realize that he was caught in the middle of a rather desperate situation. He only knew that he loved his mother devotedly, that he looked down on the quiet gray man who was his father. He didn't realize that his attitude had been planted and cultivated by his mother. It was so silly of me, Alan, darling. Don't compromise, dear, when your time comes. Don't compromise about what, Mother? Marriage. I went to the best finishing school in the state. I graduated from college. But your father never even finished high. Well, it takes ambition to go to college, I suppose. And if a man doesn't want to better himself... Dad works awfully hard. But what does he accomplish... The rent of a house like this in a second-rate town. Gosh, Mother, the town is fine. And I like the house. It's keen since Dad fixed up the rumpus room in the cellar. Don't you love Dad? When a woman marries below her, we weren't talking of love, dear. But you must love Dad because... because I'm here. Alan. The man I really loved was killed in an accident. He was handsome and so brilliant. A Rhodes Scholar. Do you know anything about Rhodes Scholars? Well, no. I turned to your father blindly in a moment of grief. So blindly. Gosh, that's fierce. For both of you. Don't worry. Your father's had his compensations. And I've had you, my son. What do you mean, Dad's had his compensations? I don't get it, Mom. Not Mom. Mother. Your father goes off by himself every Sunday. Yeah, I know. I've often wondered. He starts early. He comes home very late. When a man's supporting another woman, of course he wants to spend some time with her. Mom, what the deuce are you saying? A wife learns to bow to the inevitable, Alan. Your father and I have drifted apart. Slowly and steadily, until we no longer have any real contact. I'm... I'm sorry. Well, here he comes now, walking down the street. He looks awfully tired. I don't doubt he's tired of everything, including us, darling. If he didn't have to support us, his legal wife and son, his life would be very different. Maybe I should have a talk with Dad. You're only a child. Well, I'm 15, and I'd pass for 17. Everybody says so, even our athletic instructor. You'd pass for 17 physically, but not emotionally or mentally. You're still pitifully young. And... You're early, Henry. Oh? Oh, yes, I am, rather. Hi, son. Hello, Dad. I think I'll sit in the living room for a while before I wash up. Oh, I'm bush. Henry, you'll soil the slipcovers. Oh, I'm tired, not dirty. Say, Alan, there's a man in my office. His son's going to camp for the summer. He was telling me all about it, and, well, I thought maybe I could manage it so you could have a month at camp along with him. 
It's on a lake, and the fellas live in tents. Oh, gosh, Dad, that sounds swell. Henry, go into the bedroom and get into a fresh shirt. Shirt? Oh, all right, Edith. All right. Call me when dinner's dished up. Middle class. Middle class. I'll call you when... Henry. Uh, Okay, Edith, okay. Absolutely impervious to the social amenities. You can't go to camp, Alan. But heck, Mother, why not? In the first place, we can't afford it. My new doctor is very expensive, Alan. And then, too, your father only wants to send you away so we'll be separated. He's jealous of the bond between us. He's jealous of his own son. In just a moment, Betty Davis will be back again. But first, Social Security provides the serviceman with new insurance protection. With benefits paid to insured men and women at age 65 upon retirement, or at age 50 if total and permanent disability strikes. Social Security also represents family survivor benefits for a serviceman's widow and minor children. The full story of how Social Security works is available in a number of different pamphlets. These pamphlets are available now in service libraries and reading rooms. They take only a few minutes to read, and the information you get will help you plan for the future. First of all, you should know what Social Security can mean to your family in the event of your death. And it's important to learn how many years of service you'll need to qualify for this second retirement check. Service men can collect Social Security at age 65, but women are eligible at age 62. Have you investigated your Social Security benefits? And now, back to our story with Betty Davis. A mother-son tie growing firmer and closer across the chain of days. When Alan was at school, he only saw his mother in the afternoons and evenings. But now that vacation had started, he was with her all day long. He told his father that he didn't want to go to camp. And his father said, okay, son, and let the matter rest. Sometimes Alan wondered about his father, wondered why he slept in a small room instead of sharing his mother's large one, why he retired to that room every night and read until it was time to go to bed. Why a man with his father's lack of education owned such deep books? After all, his mother, for all her finishing school and college, read saccharine, wishy-washy novels. They're my escape, dear. Escape from the humdrum life I live. Your father doesn't really enjoy his books. He reads them because he thinks he's impressing you. That's kind of foolish, isn't it? Oh, he... Then, of course... <laughs> Your father. Oh, dear. On and on and on. On and on. Picking, picking, picking. Innuendo piled on innuendo. Alan was civil to his father, but that was about as far as it went. On one of the rare moments when they were alone. Look here, Alan. Uh, you're growing up. 
And I suppose you'll begin thinking about college in a little while. What are you two talking about? Uh, nothing, Edith. You look flustered. Oh, well, I'm not. Grass is sort of ragged, isn't it? Looks as if it needs a barber. Guess I'll take a turn or two with a lawnmower before dinner. Mowing the lawn's a good exercise. Successful men get their exercise playing golf. What were you really talking about, Alan? Why? Why college? Dad said he supposed I'd begun to think about college. College? How could he send you to college? There was a college fund when you were a baby, Alan. It started the week after you were born. A few of my relatives sent you money gifts. That was the nucleus. What happened to the fund? Oh, it... It disappeared. Would you like to go to the movies tonight, Alan, with your old mother? There's a good picture at the Lyric. mother had always migrated from doctor to doctor. She complained of a faulty heart. But Alan didn't take that seriously. It was one of his mother's little peculiarities. Without it, she wouldn't be his mother. She'd be a stranger. He went to the store on an errand one day. An hour later, he came down the street on his bicycle with parcels and a wire basket on the handlebars. When he saw a fire truck in front of the house, he put on full speed. But it couldn't be a fire. There weren't any ladders or hose. He leaned his bicycle against the porch railing. He started into the house, but a neighbor barred his way. What is it, Mrs. Winthrop? Why is that truck outside? Your mother's had an attack, Alan. But the truck? It's this way. They sent to the firehouse for poor motor. It was the quickest thing. Is she very sick? Yes, Alan. We're working over, but there's not much hope, I'm afraid. Let me go to her. She'd want no, me. No, Alan, it would only make it worse for you. I know from experience. It could be worse. They're doing everything they can. Alan, this don't be a father. Why don't you go to the bus stop and wait for him? But Alan didn't go to the bus stop and wait. This was his own personal tragedy. It didn't concern his father. The fireman carried off the pull motor. The truck drove away. The doctor closed his black bag and patted Alan on the shoulder. Mrs. Winthrop, the neighbor, began to cry. Poor woman, she'd had her own tragedy. And then finally, Alan's father came rushing down the street. Alan. And... Boy. How is she? Mother's dead. Dead. Poor, poor Edith. She didn't want to go so soon. She wanted to see you settled in life before. Look, Alan, we'll stick together, you and I. Will we? Where is she? Inside, on the living room couch. Mrs. Winthrop said she was dusting and she collapsed, just like that. I was out of the house when it happened. I, I wish I had been there when it happened. So do I, son. You've made things easier all around. You stay put, Alan. I want to be alone with her for a few moments. days 
before the funeral, Alan often wanted to say to his father, Why are you putting on this show of grief? You didn't love her. And then the funeral was over and Alan and his father sat staring at each other. Alan's face was still and self-contained. He held himself rigidly in check with a grim determination unusual in a boy of his age. Even his father couldn't guess that he was not only grieving, that he felt isolated and alone with a man who never had and never could understand. It was his father who finally spoke. Well, us now, Alan. Just you and me. I know what this means to your son. I know how lost you are. Your mother was devoted to you. She was a good mother. You're darn right she was a good mother. Now, now we have plans to make. After I get adjusted, well, I'll find somebody to come in and do the work. We'll keep the house going until you're through with high school. Night times, when you haven't got a date, we'll read together. Man stuff, Alan. I've got some books upstairs that'll interest you when you get to know the authors. Oh, yeah? Alan, your mother left a mighty big hole in this house. And in our hearts, too. For the present, I think I ought to... I ought to send you to the country, away from here. Things are too close. This living room, you know. To camp, you mean? Well, not this year, son. Your mother's funeral expenses ate up what surplus I had. I wanted her to have the best. Maybe you wondered where I go, Sundays. Well, it's a pleasant place in the hills about 50 miles from here. She has a little farm, and you could stay there until... Stay with that woman? That, that, that woman who ruined my mother's life? Dad, are you crazy? Wait. She didn't ruin your mother's life, son. Your mother always had everything she wanted. Everything, believe me. There was plenty left over for Aunt Cosme. What did you say? There was plenty left over for Aunt Cosme. Come to think of it, son, she's your great aunt. Your mother made me promise not to talk about her to you. She made me promise that long ago when you were just a little youngster. Why did she make you promise? Well, among other things, Aunt Cosme murders the king's English. But she's got a heart of gold. And she supported herself fine with that farm of hers until the arthritis hit her. But... She'll take you in for the summer gladly, and I'll come up for weekends and for my vacation. You can have a dog out in the country, son. We'll bring him home when the fall comes. I've always wanted a dog. But Mother... Mother didn't like dogs. Well, it'll comfort you to have something that belongs to you this special summer. (laughs) We always had a dog in the house when I was a kid. A dog and a bunch of children. I guess it was because we had a bunch of children, Alan, that I couldn't finish high school and go to college. Pop died, and I was the oldest. I never knew anything about about your family, Dad. I just sort of thought you were alone in the world. Well, I am now, except for you and Aunt Cosme. Two of the kids died in an epidemic, and one went out to China as a missionary. And there was an uprising, and, well, we won't talk about that now. I'll only say that I was the hardiest of the bunch. 
Every summer, the kids would stay with Aunt Cosme in the country, and... Well, that's why I... kind of over living now. Dad? Did you love Mother very much? She was the only woman I ever looked at, son. Maybe it was knowing that she had a better education, knowing that she was top drawer, so much finer than me, that made me treasure, so... Kind of living, living in a house with something beautiful and fragile. Like a Venetian glass vase. You know, something I could admire, but was half afraid to touch. You get what I'm trying to say? Yeah, I get it. Dad, one night we were alone together and you said if I ever got in a jam I was to tell you and you'd help me out. Remember? I remember. And that same night you said something about me beginning to think about college, remember? So I did. I want you to have your education, son. And I've made plans. Shall I tell you about them? Yes, Dad. I wish you would. <laughs> well, I don't know quite where to start now, Alan. Just start any place, Dad. Well... Perhaps the starting place is after your college fund went by the boards. Mom mentioned about the college fund, but what do you mean by saying after it went by the boards? Well, I started a fund for your college education the week after you were born. And I kept it up until you were about eight. And then? Well, then your mother drew out the old shooting match and bought new living room furniture. She drew it out and furniture? Yeah, you see, she felt that you should have a nice home to grow up in. She felt that if you lived in a shoddy place, well, you'd, you'd develop a shoddy sense of standards. She took great pride in her home, Alan. There's no doubt of that. You mean she bought chairs and sofa? And a rug, too. <laughs> Wore like iron. You see, she thought you should have the right background. Well, keeping it a secret... I started going without lunches and putting the money in a 10-year saving plan. It'll come due when you're 18. You went without lunches so I could go to college. Well, that done me any harm. Oh, on the contrary. Most men my age have a pot belly. I've kept my waistline going without lunches. <laughs> you know something, son? We've talked more tonight than we've talked in our whole lives. Yes, we have. I guess we're kind of talked out, just about, huh? <clears throat> but at first, where do you want to go? To Harvard, Yale, Princeton? Say, maybe one of those Western colleges. A fellow down the street is a senior at State U, and he likes it fine. Mostly because it's in the next township. You see, he's, he's able to commute by bus. He's home every night. No, Dad. I don't want to go to Harvard or Yale or Princeton. I want to go to State U so I can be home with you evenings. We've still got an awful lot of talking to do. We aren't anywhere near talked out. I'll say. And those books of yours, Dad. It'll be slick, reading them together. Yeah, those, those books of mine. I guess we'll begin with um, Emerson. Oh, he was a great man, son. You... You're a great man, too, Dad. I never knew how great until tonight.
greatness is so close to us that we don't see it. Sometimes we trust our ears and not our instincts. And in that way, we lose touch with those things of the spirit. When Alan came home from doing an errand and he saw a fire truck in front of the house, a Mrs. Winthrop, a neighbor, told him that he mustn't go inside because it would only make things worse. She said she knew from experience that it would be worse. In just a moment, Betty Davis will be back to tell you more about Mrs. Winthrop. But first... Four Navy ships arrived off the coast of Colombo, Ceylon. The USS Duxbury, USS Princeton, USS Sutherland, and USS Henderson. They were there to take part in the rescue work made necessary by one of the worst floods in the history of Ceylon. Over 300 tons of food were offloaded and dispatched to the disaster areas. 160 tons were airlifted by the helicopters of the Princeton. Medical teams from all the Navy ships immunized thousands of people to prevent epidemic outbreaks. They also purified the drinking water. After five days of 24 hours a day work, the floodwaters receded and the emergency passed. The spirit and teamwork displayed by these Navy men gave us all a thought to remember. We are Americans. As we go, so goes America. What sort of experience did Lorraine Winthrop have to give her so much understanding and sympathy? And was she always so understanding and sympathetic? We will meet Lorraine Winthrop when she faces her own greatest problem. Until then, this is Betty Davis saying goodbye from the whispering streets. program was written by Margaret E. Sankster. Featured in the cast were Kathy Lewis, Hal Perry, and Peter Votrian. Whispering Streets was directed by Gordon T. Hughes and produced by Ted Lloyd. Your announcer is Dan Coverley. has come to you through the worldwide facilities of the United States Armed Forces Radio and Television Service. Mm-hmm.